Hey everyone, welcome to the Gatekeepers Podcast. In this episode, Peter Keller speaks about the life journey the Lord leads all believers on. If you want to know more about Gatekeepers, visit gatecityatl.com slash gatekeepers. Enjoy. All right. So who here has heard me speak before, heard me preach, heard me bring a message? So where do I normally start when I'm bringing a message? Bridge? Bridges? The beginning? I love Genesis, right? Uh, pretty much, I think I've list, I listen back, and all of my messages always start with the beginning. Um, if, you hear, if you ever hear me talking, if I'm ever just hanging out, chatting with you guys, I love chronological order. I love seeing the narrative of the history of creation, the history of all of the Bible laid out. And tonight, I'm going to start from the beginning, but not from Genesis, the beginning. I want to talk to us about our lives. Um, so where, where do we begin our lives? We begin our lives as a baby, okay? We have parents that decide to have us, and we are loved by our parents. And from day one, we come into the world, and the world sees us through the lens of, hey, those are little babies. We recognize them. We understand them. Pretty much the only people that love you as a baby are going to be your parents and your relatives. I mean, people look at you and they're like, oh, he's cute, but there's no real connection there. And through the lens of physicality, through the physical lens, that is the narrative that we hear. It's like, okay, there's a child. That child was brought into the world. They're here. Something that the Lord has spoken to me over the years is that if we look at our lives through that lens of, okay, we were just, we're, we're born and we're there, we're actually missing out on a part of who God is and his relationship to us. Psalm 139, 13 says that God actually played a huge role in us being here. It says, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. My frame was not hidden from you, when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So the world says, hey, we're just here. We're present. God, in the narrative of scripture, the witness of scripture says, before you were even a thought in your parents' mind, God knew you. He is presently involved, and, and he was working inside your mother's womb to create you as a person. He does not simply come, create you, and leave you. He would not build something and then walk away from it. That's not his nature. He built you so that he could be deeply connected, okay? So the world says we are just here the narrative of Scripture actually says that you are deeply wanted by God. And that's important because, like John was talking about last week, so often we can get caught up in the narrative of the world and we can end up having an orphan mentality where we, we say, you know, I'm sort of on my own. I'm going to do life on my own. And that's not how we were created to do life. I want, to, I want to have truth, and I want to start my life from the narrative of truth instead of the narrative of the world. So growing up, we all um, have different backstories, right? But we have one thing in common. We all have a sin nature inside of us. When Adam and Eve decided to sin, they took the, the fruit from the tree, ate it, consumed it, said that my way is better than God's way, Sin entered into the world, and through the bloodline of man, it enters into us as we come into the world. But God knew that, that that's going on. He says, despite the fact that I built this person, and as soon as they enter into the world, I want them. God wants you. He says, I'm not going to let sin get in the way. Paul says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God has a different plan. He's going to send Jesus. But despite all of that, 
Before we go into anything else, I just want to talk about what the world tries to do to us. So we were all raised in different ways. I was raised in a Christian family. Some of y'all might not have been raised in a Christian family. Some of you guys might have been raised in a different faith, right? All of those, whatever factors that, that you grew up with, that's going to have an effect on your understanding of God. And even if you did grow up in a family that loved and feared the Lord, invariably the, the weight of sin and sin nature is going to draw you towards the world and the things of the world. So that's, that's sort of where my story starts. Um, I was born in the church, raised in the church, praise the Lord, um, raised in a very charismatic, conservative Christian family. My mom and my dad, they loved the Lord. My siblings loved the Lord growing up. And I lived a relatively uneventful life until I was about 12. And when I was 12, I had, uh, I had my family, they brought in a young man who was sort of having family issues at his house. He was like 16 at the time. And turns out that he was a predator and he, he began molesting me and raped me on multiple occasions. And so I went from having a very sheltered life to all of a sudden being thrust into a world of shame and condemnation where I was like, whoa, how can anything happen like this? I had no idea that this was even possible. And the world began speaking to me. I started viewing things through the lens of the world. I started feeling the effects of shame, condemnation. And it was really hard because I went from only knowing truth to all of a sudden having something completely outside enter into my realm. And that's, it's not just, you know, some small thing. That's a pretty traumatic thing. So that deeply shifted the trajectory of my life in, in a very negative way. Um, my parents found out about that and uh, they, they found out about a portion of what was going on and they sat down with me and they said, Peter, just so you know, this isn't okay. Don't let this happen again. Um, and you know, that's Jesus, he wants you to do, you know, better. They, they said something along those lines. As a 12-year-old, that's, that's what I felt. And it turns out, you know, 10, 12 years later, when I actually confronted my parents, they had no idea what was going on. But that was the message that I took away from my parents. It was, hey, this is your fault. You are messed up. And I, from that place of not being protected from, by my parents, I started re retracting all of my relationship from my parents, from my siblings, I, I began having a deep offense with, with the Lord because I said, okay, God, I've only ever heard that you are good. You're clearly not good because of this situation. You know, uh, church, it just sort of got brushed over. And so every area in my life where I had felt like I had established something, I started pulling myself away from that. And I started looking to the things of the world to see if those could fill me because I said, well, clearly this, what I was raised doing is not going to work. I started creating vows in my heart saying, I'm not ever going to be seen as weak again. I'm going to start working my butt off until I become an unbreakable person. So 15 comes, rolls around, you know, I start, or I'm in high school actually, and I, I'm homeschooled. I self-teach myself all the way through. Like my parents never had to help me one time. Um, I start working at 15. I never leave full-time work. I'm like always working. Um, and I'm getting the best grades. From the outside, I am looking like the model child. In the inside, I'm dying. In the inside, I'm living, or on the outside, I'm living a complete lie to what is actually going on in my heart. But the thing is, the world kept pulling, and it kept pulling me deeper and deeper into it. In college, I start getting into drugs and, um, and bad relationships. I start drinking every night. I was an alcoholic, drinking three beers a night, like high, high alcohol content beers. And I was dying, and I was deep in depression, but I was doing so well in school. And the Lord, uh, sorry, not the Lord, Peter, sorry, I, I get in preaching mode, and I just go into the Lord. Um, and Peter decided, hey, how can, or I, I said, 
And I figured out if I can get out of America and I can get away from everything, my life will be fixed. You know, I'm building this successful career. So I, I decided to major in international affairs, minoring in Chinese, because my dad told me Chinese was impossible to learn. And so I was like, I'm going to do whatever it, can, whatever it takes to prove my old man wrong. Um, not from a good place, definitely. Um, the Lord uses that. But um, I'm going to try my best to just escape and to get out from everything that is hurting me. And it was a very, very difficult time. So a lot of y'all know I went to China, but so many people, they know only that bit. They're like, wow, he must have been going for Jesus. And it's like, no, I was going against Jesus. I was going to escape the church. I was going to escape the influence of the West. I was like jacked up. I was like totally all for like World War III. I was like, kill everyone. Like, let's just, you know, end the world because this world is terrible. I was wild. I really was. I was like the worst of the worst. Um, I think I was telling John that or someone the other night. I think it was James, actually. But um, despite all of that, that, that so, so when I was talking earlier about last time I left America and I left this place, it was on very different terms. I left to run away from God. I left to get away from everything and to protect myself. But while I was in China... And uh, I came back, Lord, praise the Lord. I come back and I'm waiting on a visa. And in China, I'm just living the life. I'm like, you know, if, if you guys have ever been to a foreign country, if you are white and you come from America, you're going to be richer than like 90% of the population. So I was living like a king in China. I come back though, I'm very poor because I spent all my money in China and I'm back in America. And, uh, and, I get thrust into the, the nightmare situation for me, which is living with your parents, which is really not a good thing when you hate your parents. Living with, like, in close proximity to, to my siblings that drove me up the wall. Uh, at, at the time when I moved back, I, I want to say that my nieces, or one of my nieces, was like living in close proximity to me. So I was waking up every morning with a baby screaming, I don't like my family, I don't like my sister, I don't like her kid. So it's like, a compilation of all of the worst situations. And then on top of that, I'm broke. So what can I do? I can't escape the house. Like, you know, it costs money to go do things. And so I had two places to go. I could go to the library or I could go to the prayer room to study and to just waste time. And so I chose the prayer room because I just was more comfortable with it. And I'm sitting there studying um, for the TEFL and I was waiting on my my visa, my work visa to come back. And I, I had been doing that for a couple weeks at that time. And all of a sudden, uh, one of my dear friends, Caleb Andrews, he's a worship leader, and he comes out on stage. He just starts playing this song. It's the song, uh, I have decided to follow Jesus. That song, right? And it just goes on. And he, he does it like two times. And then all of a sudden, I feel a weight and a presence from God that I had never felt in my entire life. Like, I was a radical unbeliever. Like, hated God. If anyone talked to me about God, I was leaving that conversation. And in a moment, all of that gets thrown away because when the power of God is touching you, you cannot deny it. My body crumpled. I was sitting, and my body just goes, Whew, and I just sort of crumpled to the ground and I began weeping. And I hadn't wept but two times in 10 years. I wept once when uh, my grandfather died, and then once when a dear friend's father passed away. Um, and that was it. And all of a sudden, all these emotions and these feelings that I had been feeling for a decade, I, or 12 years, start coming up. And I'm like, God, or I'm like, what is happening? And I hear the voice of the Lord, not, not tangibly, not, not with my ear, but in my spirit, I hear him say, Peter, I want you either all the way or I want you gone. I'm going to give you an ultimatum, Peter. Stay with me and, and commit your life. Make a vow to me right now that you're going to follow me or leave my presence. Never come back. Which for me, if you know me, I'm a, I love challenges. James in the back there where we're sitting here, we love a good challenge. But, you know, when the Lord is meeting you in that way, you would be an idiot to say no. 
It's, it's like, I, I don't know how I could have said no because I was feeling something that I had denied for 12 years. And in a moment, I was like, this is the most real. This is more real than anything I've ever dreamt or imagined. So I say yes to the Lord. But let's just backtrack a little bit. So we talked earlier about the beginning. And uh, everyone, everyone starts from a place of sin. Jesus comes to redeem. And he does issue a clear call. This is something that the Lord has, has spoken to me over the years, especially doing ministry. Um, he requires us to listen. Whether that's the first time he meets you, whether that is, you know, continually in your relationship, he asks for us to settle down and to just listen to his voice. Because guess what? He calls us. He calls each and every one of us in a different way. I mentioned that God created us and he intricately, intricately knows us. And so he is going to come and meet and has met with many of you in his own way that is tailored to your experience. Everyone's journey looks different. Actually, I'm always hesitant to share my testimony because so I remember in youth group when I was like 12 or, so, or 10, people were always like telling their crazy, you know, God testimonies. They're like, God shows up to me in dreams and there's angels and all of this stuff. And to most people, that's not real necessarily. How many, how many people in here have ever like heard the audible voice of God? Like two. I mean, awesome. Like don't, don't say no if, if that's you. Like I'm going to believe that with you. But oftentimes the Lord speaks to us and we have to be listening. He speaks in whispers. He speaks in the subtle things. So I'm always hesitant to share because I don't want you to put an unrealistic expectation on God. We can only expect for God to do what God wants to do. And we don't know what God wants to do in every moment. Outside of Scripture, God speaks to each and every one of us through the witness of Scripture. Jesus, when he's about to go to um, the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, Father, I desire those that you have given to me, to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. We all know the Scripture, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that, you know, all those who believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God calls to all, but not many listen. Not many answer the call. We can only say yes to him because he first said yes to us. That's First John. And I think it's so, it's so pivotal um, in our culture where we, especially charismania, let me say, I love charismania. I think it's great. I think we over-spiritualize a lot of stuff. But I think it's great because God does show up and he shows up big. But... Oftentimes we forego scripture and we forego the witness of scripture, which is blaring, us, blaring at us in the face. It's saying there's, there's a whole story of God's love for us. It's a divine love story. That's what the Bible is. And it is calling to every single person. We just have to read it and, and say yes to it. So that's the first step that a believer has to take in order to experience God. And I don't know each and every one of you in this room, but I know a lot of y'all are trying to follow Jesus. And listening is a key part. Sometimes it takes us sitting down and quieting our soul, quieting our spirit. Sometimes it, it requires us to go on a retreat and just shut everything out. For me, I remember I used to listen to music all the time when I was driving. And the Lord just said, Peter, turn off the music. I want to encounter you while you're driving. And there were some times where the Lord showed up and I start weeping and I have to pull over to the side of the road because he just starts tenderly speaking to me. He is willing to listen because he wants to deeply and intimately encounter you. You just have to listen. So listening is the first step. The second step, um, if you've heard me preach in the past, you probably heard me talking about the cost of obedience. Um, and the second step is answering saying either yes or no to the call, which I, I mentioned, I said yes. Uh, it's, it's been a costly yes, but it is the most valuable yes of my life. So our, our decision to follow Jesus is by far the most valuable thing you can ever do. Um, 
people always talk about the wedding, you know, your wedding being the biggest day of your life. That's just not true. The thing is with weddings, I'm sorry, it's not true at all. Like seriously, the thing is when you get married, Becca, I think you're the only married one in this room, right? Oh yeah, sorry, I forgot you guys. You guys, you guys are always out there. Okay, okay. James, how old are you? Okay, so you're 27. How old are you going to live to be? Okay, so a buck 20. So at best, at best, your commitment to Karen is going to be 93 years long. And some change. Lord, Lord willing and strength, man. God, give it to him. 93 years of commitment and love. That's a long time. But you saying yes to Jesus is it has an eternal value. It's going to be resounding throughout the ages. The thing is, with marriage on this side of eternity, as soon as we die, we perish, we go to heaven, Jesus actually says it's going to look a little bit different. You're not really, marriage is definitely a different thing in heaven. But your relationship with God is not going to perish when you die. You're, there, there is a heavenly, um, a heavenly timeline that we forget about. And so when you say yes to Jesus, it far exceeds any other promise, any other vow that you ever make. Uh, Ecclesiastes 5, uh, verse 4 and 5. Ecclesiastes is crazy. I, I love that book. Basically, it's Solomon just talking about how vain life is. He says everything is meaningless. Um, but anyways, that, that sort of goes back to vanity and just pursuing vanity. But... Um, he says here, when you make a vow, which all a vow is, is a promise or a commitment to God, um, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better to not make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Which I felt like that's how the Lord encountered me. In, in my story, it was like, Peter, I want you either all the way or not at all. I, I had a decision to make, and the vow said yes or no. And here it says God actually doesn't like it when we're sort of teetering on the edge of saying yes or no. He wants your whole heart. He is worth your whole heart. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24, you cannot serve two masters because you're going to love one and hate the other or despise one and enjoy the other. There's, there's no in-between there. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is one of like my heroes. Um, he was a martyr in... World War II stood up against Hitler, and he wrote this book called The Cost of Discipleship, and in it, one of the main lines that he writes, it's like a one-liner, I love one-liners, he says, when Christ calls to us, he bids us come and die. Jesus says, follow me and pick up your cross, and that's a serious commitment. I think so oftentimes we, we see Jesus and, and we hear the, the witness from the church saying, hey, come to Jesus, you can still keep all of your other stuff, but Jesus will come and save you. And Jesus doesn't want that. He, he, he doesn't preach that anywhere. He says, when you follow me, I require of you to pick up your cross and come die. I bid you to follow me all the way to the cross, and it's going to be costly. It's going to be costly. He says, the kingdom of heaven it's like a treasure buried in a field where when you come and you see it and you find it, you should go and sell everything. That's how valuable it is. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a pearl of great price. When a merchant comes and sees that pearl, he's going to give it all away. And you see him calling to countless people and he, he asks them for hard things. And many say no. but he calls you, and all he asks for is a yes. He asks, come and give me the keys to your heart. I, a lot of us, we, we easily accept him as a savior, but few accept him as a Lord. I always think, God, take, take the wheel, right? Jesus, take the wheel. There's that song, it's like, we sing about it, but we don't actually live it. I wanna live from the place where Jesus is on the throne of my life, and there is no one, there is nothing that can get in the way of his lordship over my life. If he tells me to turn right, I'm going to turn right. I'm, I fly planes, so I'm going to whoo, do that. But dead serious, like, I want to follow him in and out. And that's what he requires. He, he does not let us 
have one foot in, one foot out. He doesn't want us to be hot or cold. He, or he, he does, technically. Sorry, I take that one back. No heresy in Jesus' name. He says, hey, I want you to be hot or cold. He wants us to be all in or all out. I was telling everyone, I was like, heresy, that's the only one thing I have to be careful about because sometimes I get passionate and then I say something, I'm like, ooh, let's reel it back in. Um, so... On top, of him, uh, on top of that big yes, when you say yes to the Lord, and if you haven't made that yes in this room tonight, I want to encourage you, God is calling to you right now, and he is asking you to say yes or no. I'm asking you to say yes or no, because it is that important um, to, to make a commitment to the Lord and just to follow him. And honestly, I've lived a life where I was sort of doing my own thing, and I realized it only leads to death. So... God says, I want your yes uh, in a big way. I want that vow. I want you to commit to me. But what I have found in my walk with the Lord is that there's one day where there is one big yes, but then there are many little yeses to follow. the, The walk of faith requires us to say yes to the Lord once and then to continue to say yes to him in the small things. You know, if the if the Spirit's leading me to not um to not curse, I want to say yes to the Lord, which he pretty much always leads me to not curse. So I always say, try to say yes to that. Um, you know, if, if the, the spirit is like, hey, I, I want you to go pray for that person, I need to say yes because I want to follow Jesus because I gave him the keys to my life. Requires many little yeses. And guess what, guys? I make mistakes. I think we all do. We, we all, we make a decision. We, we say, God, I want you. And there are moments of weakness in a believer's life. We see Peter in the Bible. He is one of the most well-known disciples. And he also makes the, the biggest, craziest, most bizarre mistakes. He's like, God, burn down the city. Jesus is like, no, dude. Like, let's just, you know, not do that. He denies Jesus three times. That's a big mistake. But God does not deny Peter. He sees Peter's love as being weak but real. He sees, he's like, Peter, you've only been with me a couple years. I know that you're, lo- I look at your heart. I don't look at your outward appearance. I don't look at your actions. I look at your heart and I can see if an immature love is a love or if it is actual complete disobedience. You know, were, were you doing this out of a place of malice? And uh, he, he does not say, he will not condemn those who um, are following him when they make mistakes. He sees your love, the immature love, and he calls it real. And I think that was a big thing for me as I was walking uh, early on in my relationship with God because I, I would beat myself up so much over making a small mistake. And he was like, Peter, he would just always come back in, in my quiet time. He's like, Peter, I see your love and it is real, even though it is so weak. And I was like, God, how can you love me in my weakness? How can you, you know, love this hideous thing? I made a mistake. And he's like, dude, it doesn't matter. I I paid for your sin once and for all. I only see you through the light of Jesus Christ. Those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. I'm just, uh, I'm going to read some journal entries uh, tonight that I've never read out loud. And just sort of let you guys in on what my personal life looked like um, as I was giving myself to the Lord. This is from February 10th, 2019. And just for context, uh, this is the day that I, I felt the Lord earlier in the week say, Peter, if you go back to China, I will honor you. But if you stay here, you are honoring me. And Peter, if you go to China... When you come back in 10, 15 years, you're still going to have to deal with all the heartache, all the wounds, all the things that you're avoiding. And so I love challenges, praise the Lord. Um, So I made the decision to turn in my letter of resignation uh, to a job that I hadn't even started yet. It was very humbling. So February 10th, 2019, I wrote, today hurts. I'm numb. I feel sick to my stomach. My heart has been pounding out of my chest all day. Nothing feels real. I'm turning in my withdrawal for teaching in China this evening. 
even though I feel like it's 100% what I'm supposed to do, my body tells me that it's 100% what I'm not supposed to do. Why would I give up a dream that I've been pursuing for five years? How can I justify it? It's because Jesus is worthy, even in moments like this where I'm doubting his provision and plan for my life, I know I will not regret this decision to stay and sit at his feet for a season. But right now, my mind is calling me a fool. It's times like these that I have to speak and sing his praises, even though I don't feel like it's true. God is good. Satan is a liar. I trust in the truth of his voice and his wisdom. Tonight at church, I heard the Lord say, I will deal bountifully with you. Obeying the Lord and saying yes to him is costly. And I've, I've, I've experienced that. I, I know so many people who have also experienced that. And I think it takes a resolve, it takes a courage to say yes to the Lord. And I just wanna, I wanna say, from the witness of my life, following Jesus is the most, the most precious thing, it's the most valuable thing I've ever done. Far surpasses any of my accolades. You know, I'm, I'm going to go off to the airlines. I tell, I, I remember early on, I was like, Lord, I don't care where you send me. I just want to follow you. I want to live according to your dream. The, the, the desires that you have for me, God, I want to follow. So I'm really going to miss this body because the Lord spoke to me um, that the, the, he's going to deal bountifully with me at a uh, gatekeeper service. So it requires a yes, guys. It requires an answer. So, so moving on. I'm sorry, guys. I'm going to get through this. Moving on, uh, the next part, sort of the next season of the believer, after saying yes, uh, I think is searching for the Lord, coming to find him. I think it's easy to say yes when God is, you know, hitting you in power. But so often I see in the young believer a desire to know God, but they don't know how to seek him. They don't really know what that actually looks like. And, and they often, they're like, I'm going to show up to every service, but outside of the service, they don't have any, anything to root them and ground them in their faith. So often I see a young believer who, as soon as they get, they get saved, they're like, God, I want you to send me out. I want to do great things. That was me. I was like, God, this is easy. You want me to go back to China. That's it. Clearly, clear as day, Lord. I mean, obviously, that's why you, you know, put me through five years of school for that. And he's like, no. I care more about you and me than I do about your ministry. I care more about you than I do about any accolades, about your career. God deeply cares about you as a young believer. And he's not willing to, to let you go. Um, I'm just going to read another journal entry real quick. This is uh, January 22nd, 2019. Uh, I feel the Lord saying, I am the end goal, not your ambitions, not your goals. I am the pearl of great prize not the stuff that comes alongside. Those are just the perks of the relationship. But don't use me to get to that stuff. Come to me for me, not for what I can do for you. I love you, and I want you to want me for who I am. That's enough. I don't want anything from you but that. Just come to me. Don't strive. Don't wallow in your lack of strength. Just sit with me and let me love you. God wants us to see and behold him for who he is, not for the bread that he has to offer, not for the signs and the wonders that he so longs to show us. He wants us to come to him for the relationship. And what does that relationship often look like? It looks like sitting at his feet and not doing a whole lot, nothing grandiose. So often, I mean, I've... I've prayed for people. I've seen people get healed. But so often, it does not look like a great sign and a wonder. It looks like 
listening to a song and feeling a little bit of his presence. It looks like reading the Bible and getting almost nothing out of it. But every once in a while, I'd say it's like 1% of the time for me, the spirit of revelation comes on me and I get something. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so worth it when you get a little bit of revelation from the Bible. But guess what? You're never going to get revelation from the Bible if you don't read the Bible. There is no way for you to just I mean, with God, all things are possible, so there's that. But <laughs> there's, I mean, very, very little chance that, you know, all of a sudden you're walking along one day and just like some verse that you've never read pops into your head and you're like, whoa, God. He gives us the Bible, the, the written word of God, the heart of God, so that we can actually understand the person of God. And it is overlooked because we have a, a culture in the West of only looking at the big and the flashy when God is speaking to us in the silence, he's speaking to us in the book that's sitting, you know, on the chair in front of you that, that you don't open, that I don't open. I'm preaching to myself. So he asks for us to search. Um, something that I have also experienced in my own life is sometimes sitting does not feel productive. Sometimes waiting on the Lord does not feel productive, especially when you go, I mean, I know a lot of you guys are in college, you know, you have careers or things that you're like, man, I'm, I'm making progress here. Most of the time, my relationship with the Lord does not feel like progress. It just feels like I'm sustaining and that I'm being faithful. But the Lord, he sees your yes as a, uh, as a beautiful sacrifice. And Mike Bickle says this, this thing that I just love, and they were actually singing it tonight. It says, if I love God and God loves me, then I am successful. And that's what success actually looks like to the believer. It's just staying in that place where you're like, God, it actually doesn't matter what everything, you know, all, everything on the outside that's going on, the world's going crazy. None of that stuff actually matters to me. It's just you and me. And if I can maintain this relationship with you, then God, I'm happy, I'm content. I don't need all of the accolades. I don't need the wealth. I don't need the career. I don't need the wife or the spouse if you're a woman. I don't need that um, unless, right? I don't need that at all because I have that pearl of great price. Uh, one of my favorite verses in uh, Proverbs, I'm a big Proverbs fan, like wisdom just hits home. And uh, it says, it's Proverbs 13, it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a hope fulfilled is a tree of life. And I remember early on in my faith, I I felt the Lord say, Peter, what are you putting your hope in? You know, you've said yes to me. Are you putting your hope in, in the fact that I'm going to bring you something, that I'm going to bring you a wife, that I'm going to bring you success? And, and so quickly, he responded and he said, Peter, I, if, if you place your hope on an expectation that you have in me, if that is not what I want for you, I'm not going to give it to you. But if you put your hope in truth, if you put your hope on what God actually wants for you, then that is going to bring you so much life. That's going to be when that desire, the, the, the truthful desire that the Lord has is going to be fulfilled. And all of a sudden, you're going to be like, wow, that is so much more valuable than, you know, one, one of those sort of cheap things that I was asking the Lord for. Um, so, I love that verse. Hmm. Heavenly expectations are different than my expectations. One is built on trust in God's plan for my life. The other is something I make up to compensate for my lack of trust in God. I wrote that in one of my journal entries. I just sort of sat on that for about two weeks. I was like, God, what am I putting my hopes in? What are you putting your hopes in, in this room? Is it, is it on things that are actually holy, or is it on things that you're like, God, you know, I'm following you, so therefore you should give this to me. He wants to give you good gifts, but he operates on a different playing field than we do. We do not know how he, how he operates. He is God. We are man. He is sovereign, 100%. One last thing uh, when it comes to searching for God is just talking about how I have had expectations in my life that when they are not fulfilled, they have led me to offense, 
into disappointment in God. Where I, you know, for instance, I was like, God, I'm following you. That means I get a wife, right? And I didn't. I still don't have a wife, and I'm okay with that now. But in the moment, I was like, God, you're a good father. How are you not giving me these gifts? And I actually got offended with the Lord, which leads me into my next uh, point. So we had the call. We had the answer. As a believer, we're called to search. And then like someone was talking about earlier, we're called to wrestle with the Lord um, over things that we don't get. So growing up, I, I, somehow I got this belief that anytime you question the Lord, anytime you, you, you're like, God, I don't understand your ways, that that was sin. And I, I don't really see that in the Bible. Um, in fact, I see uh, the story of a man named Jacob in the Old Testament, and he ends up wrestling with God. And as he wrestles with God, he's wrestling with God. He is in a bad place. His family hates him. He basically, he did a lot of really bad things to his family, and they're like hunting after him. Um, and that's just the narrative of his life. And he ends up wrestling with God throughout the night. He doesn't know it's God. God ends up smacking his hip, putting it out of socket, and he continues to hold on. He's like, I will not let go of you until you give me a blessing. So the man says, okay, I'm going to give you a blessing. And then he lets go and he's like, okay, uh, tell me your name. And he's like, dude, I'm God. You've been wrestling with me all night. And you don't know who I am. So all that said, the wrestle is actually invited by God. God. Like I talked about at the very, very beginning of tonight, the Lord desires intimacy with us. And he cannot have intimacy with us if we're not willing to be honest with him. He wants us to be truthful. Uh, Psalm 139, David says, God, before I even speak a word, before I utter something, you already know what I am going to say. So how can we say, oh, I'm not going to be honest with God if he already perceives every thought, every emotion, every desire, every, everything that you're holding against him, all you're, you're doing yourself a disservice. You're not being honest with the Lord. When the Lord hears your honesty, he's going to meet you and he's going to restore and he's going to make sense of things that do not make sense. The lies and the, the, the deceit that the world has accumulated on you, that's built up around you, cannot stand when the truth of the gospel, when the truth of Jesus ends up being in close proximity with, with you. Light cannot tolerate darkness. So when the light of Jesus comes and, and surrounds you, darkness cannot stand. And yet so often we're sitting here and we're, sh we're shuddering in darkness and we're like, God, I don't want you to see my darkness. And I, I, I was there. And all of a sudden, for, for me specifically, I said, God, I, I sort of, I had a lot going on in that season. But... Uh, Pretty much the two, the two main things was I said, God, how could you have let me be abused? You know, if you're really good, how could that have happened to me? How could a good father permit something so atrocious from or not prevent something from so atrocious from happening to me? And then also outside, out, out of that place of abuse, I start in college, I was in a very liberal friend group, right? And I basically started uh, I, I started being involved with some same-sex, you know, relationships and stuff. And I was like, God, I have these feelings and everyone around me, the Bible says this is not okay, that this is sin. How can I resolve that? And so I was stuck in this really tough place and the Lord, he invited me to come and ask him questions and to just be honest. And as I let myself be exposed he, he resolved so many of my issues that if I had just hidden away from the Lord like Adam and Eve did in the garden, he might not, I mean, I don't know. I don't know exactly what the Lord would do, but I know God desires our participation. And if we, he, if we do not participate, then we are missing part of the story that God has for us. Mm. I gotta get some water real quick. Ah, 
Praise Jesus. Isn't God good? Yeah. So God deeply cares about you, deeply knows you. Man, I got through that without looking at any of my notes. Praise the Lord. How are we doing on time? What time did I start at? Like eight? Yeah, okay, I'll go for another 15. <laughs> All right. So, really, I, I just want, one, one of the takeaways from this sermon, I, I just want you guys to go home and, and even throughout the rest of this message, just ask, God, is there anything unresolved in my heart that I have not exposed to you? That, that is a place of maybe woundedness? Is a place of me not being sure? Um, because what some, something I've seen over the years of, of being in college ministry is a lot of people having these unresolved issues, and eventually they, they become so unresolved, and there's such a frustration and a struggle that people end up getting offended, deeply offended with the Lord, and they, they end up pulling away from the church, pulling away from community, deconstructing their faith to fit their, their feelings, their emotions, and then coming back and saying, yeah, I love I'm, I'm spiritual, and, and they, don't, they, they have a resemblance of godliness, but they are missing what is actually truth. And uh, I don't want that for any of us in this room. Like, deconstruction, it, it's good to wrestle with the Lord, but to deconstruct and then to, to sit in a place, or to, to come to a place where you are looking at the Bible through your own narrative is not a way that any believer can ever look at Scripture through. My prayer uh, in that season where I was just asking the Lord to come and meet me and to show me how um, to get through and how to, how to live was break me down, God, so that you can build me up on a firm foundation. My foundation is weak and built on lies. I just confess that to God on a daily basis. I was like, God, my foundation is so jacked up because I have lived a life for 15 years Believing, uh, believing in lies, and I am willing to let you break down my foundation until it gets to a place where you can start building it up on truth again. I need your truth, God. So that is the wrestle. And out of the wrestle, God breaks us down. He replaces the lies with truth, and then we're sort of in this, I, I realized that I, I came to a place where I was like, God, I, I thought you were you know, fixing me, and I'm at this place where I'm at a very low spot. I know you're doing a lot in my life, but I feel so dark, and I feel so ugly and unable. I don't feel like I'm worthy of your love, God. Even though I know you're present and you're doing stuff, it's like I am way weaker than I ever realized I could be. Come to this place of like almost depravity where you're like, God, it's only in your grace that I can even come to you which is where we have to stay, but you, hit, you get that realization for the first time and it hits like a brick. Uh, Paul says even our greatest uh, accolades are like filthy rags to the Lord. Um, so it's a totally normal thing to feel dark but lovely and God uses, or God, God begins to work in your heart. He's a God of process um, and he moves and, and sort of grows us from, from that place of weakness. In, in weakness, we end up having to rely on God more. We end up sitting there and realizing, man, I really don't have a whole lot to offer you, Jesus. It's only in you that I have anything to offer. So, I remember... Uh, I'm just going to read one more journal entry. This is my last one that I'm going to read to you guys. This is January 19th. And I had a day where I think I wept for like six hours straight just because I was like, God, I don't even know what, what's going on. Uh, I remember, so I, I had just come back from China. It had only been like two months, and my mind was actually like really jacked up because I'd only spoken Chinese for four months. And uh, I come back to America, and I don't even really remember how to speak English, and no one speaks Chinese. I'm, I'm sort of like struggling, so I'm sort of in this place of like, I remember I, I was thinking in Chinese and having to translate to English, 
And I, I was literally, I could not speak a full sentence out loud. And so, you know, even with my friends, I was talking to Casey and I, I just would stutter through a sentence. I would, I would make it halfway through a sentence. And then I, I just felt so weak. I was like, God, I'm supposed to be, you know, like I'm supposed to have it together. Like you're, you're moving in me. You're, you're healing me in so many areas and in so many ways. And yet I can't even hold a co- consistent thought in one language. And so I write, how am I to deal with my brokenness? I am overwhelmingly broken. I thought I understood it before how wrong I was. I can't escape it at any moment, it seems. The broken mess that is me just stays in my head, screaming out for healing and peace. I go to the prayer room, I talk to my friends and leaders, and it still haunts me. If I'm not able to deal with my brokenness, I have to learn how to function despite its existence. What can a broken man do? How does he live? What can I offer anybody? A broken man can do nothing that isn't broken. A broken man cannot live on his own. He cannot offer anybody anything except what he has, which is brokenness. Jesus decides to look on the broken. Uh, For example, Isaiah, he, he came for the sick and the weary, not for the whole. But why does he love the broken and the undesirable? I think it's because the broken need him. They're reliant on him. They can't live a day outside of depending on him. The weak are hungry and search for a solution to fill them. He is the bread of life, so he shows himself to them, and they know he is good and trust him. A broken man has nothing, so he is forced to humble himself and turn to God for sustenance. I am broken, so I turn my heart to you again, Lord. Keep me here as long as it takes me for my pride to be crushed and for my heart to, fall, to fully surrender to you. And then my last little single one-liner is, when I rise and fall, Jesus, be the center of it all. I just realized, I was like, God, I, I really have nothing, and yet you're still willing to sit with me and to be with me and to love me, to tolerate me, and not only tolerate me, but enjoy me. Uh, David writes, for, as, uh, for the saints that are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all of my delight. It's from the heart of God that David's saying it. And in the place of weakness and brokenness, we might say, God, I'm ugly, but he calls us beautiful. Song of Solomon is a, is a love story between Solomon the king and uh, the Shulamite, which is a picture of us. And in the very first chapter, the Shulamite, which is us, says, I am dark, but lovely. Like the Lord calls me lovely. I'm like the tents of Kedar uh, and like the curtains of Solomon. And what, that, what that's saying is the, the tents of Kedar were these dark, filthy, dirty uh, curtains that were part of uh, the tabernacle, I believe. And the, the curtains of Solomon were the pristine white curtains that were in the temple. And the Shulamite just realizes, I feel like I'm one way, but the beloved says I'm someone completely different. And so it takes time for us to understand that God actually sees us through a different lens than we see ourselves. We see ourselves through our experiences. We see ourselves through our inadequacies. And Jesus, uh, sorry, God sees us through the blood, through the lens of the blood of Jesus Christ, which is spotless and beautiful. And over the duration of Song of Solomon, you see this love story where the Shulamite is sort of, she's terrified because she's like, I've never experienced a love like this before. Before Jesus, I had never experienced a true love like that before. And so it was actually, it was un, untreaded water for me. And I was afraid to let the king call me beautiful because I didn't see it. But as the Shulamite progresses in her relationship, she ends up saying sort of towards the end of the story, she, she comes into the truth. She says, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. She says, everything he says about me is true and I am his entirely. Oh, Jesus. I've got five more minutes. I think... Uh, Another thing I learned in the process, thank you guys for staying with me, by the way. You guys are a great crowd. 
um, something that the Lord um, started teaching me was um, sometimes healing takes time. Sometimes the process takes time. Uh, the, the Bible takes place over thousands of years, and we only see a handful of, of, of experiences from people um, throughout the Bible, right? You see, like, the prophets, Daniel, we have a couple chapters on him, and it's his entire life. And what, we, what I think it's really easy to overlook is that, in fact, chapters of the Bible can be years of time. And so we see sort of these, these highlights, and we're like, wow, God did so much in this guy in like two pages, and that's like 30 years. God is a God of processes. It took him seven days to build the earth. It takes time. It took him 2,000 years to send Jesus. It took time. When he meets you, he's not asking for you to change in an instant. He's not asking for you to be an overnight success. Remember, the only thing that he actually cares about is his relationship with you. It's, hey, do you love me? Guess what? I love you. Therefore, you're successful. Dustin Pennington, he's one of the pastors here at uh, Gate City. He has this great analogy for it. He says, oftentimes the Christian experience is like open heart surgery. When God starts meeting you, he has to open up your heart to fix some really bad things. Like when you have open heart surgery, it's because you're probably about to die. Like there's, because it's a dangerous surgery. So it's a very, very critical thing for them to open up your heart. But you, as soon as you come out of surgery, you cannot go and sprint a marathon. It's just not possible. And sometimes after that first open heart surgery, you recover and you need another one. God, he knows you and he's going to tailor his process to your life. He wants you to be as close to him as you can be. And so he's not willing to rush you into maturity. He's not willing to push you so hard that you break. He has good things for you and he wants you to heal before you can really run. But the good news is, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. He's not just going to do something halfway in you. He's going to continue working in that thing, whether it's healing, whether it's, you know, giving you more faith. There's something that the Lord, there are many things that the Lord is doing in you as a believer that you're not going to see the fruition of today. Just like Daniel didn't see the fruition of his labors on day one. Some people, it might take 30 years. It took Jesus 30 years to even start doing any ministry. He just was sitting, beholding the beauty of God for the first 30 years of his life and being faithful. Ecclesiastes, once again, Solomon says, God has made all things beautiful in its time. He has also placed ignorance in the human heart, so that no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. I love that verse because so often we have the audacity of saying, well, God's done with me. I'm, I'm good. Or, man, God's not doing anything with me. Like, that's, that's probably more my experience is, God, I was expecting things to be drastically different. And what Ecclesiastes 3 says is it says, no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. So that process that the Lord has started in you, you might think it's finished, but we actually don't know. It could be that you're halfway through. It could be that you're 0.1% of the way done with that process. He's, he's just going to work in you, and he is going to be faithful to complete whatever work it is. It's not on our timeline, though, guys. I think that is a place of offense and uh, where, where expectations get us, because we live in a microwave society where we just expect everything to happen snappy. You know, you see your friends being successful, moving on. Uh, you see, you know, people going out to the nations and doing their own thing. And in reality, the Lord might have you in a different place. So don't expect for your story to look like the other people. Um, and in closing, I, I just want to talk about abiding real quick. Worship team can come up and, and play some piano in the background. Ooh, real quick, I just want to say, Psalm 139, uh, 
David says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And sort of like the Shulamite at the end of the Song of Solomons, David is saying, God, I, I finally sort of, I, I get it. I know you, you, you said it, right? You said in the beginning of the chapter that you searched me and know me, but now I'm going to accept the fact that you searched me and know me and I'm going to invite you to come and search me and know me even more so that if there is any wicked thing in me, that you can come bring it to the surface and so that we can get rid of that thing so I can be closer to you. All right, and last but not least, guys, I just want to talk about reading the Bible because uh, all the things I've talked about have been instrumental in my life, but there is nothing more instrumental in my life than actually opening up the Word of God. I wrote here that longevity comes from a history with God and a good diet. It requires for you to have a good diet, which means eat your daily bread. I, I call the daily bread the, 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 the broccoli. It's like sometimes it doesn't feel good to eat that daily bread because you could be doing a million other things, but I eat my broccoli and I'm like six foot three, right? It take, like mom told me to, to eat my broccoli and I just did it. And Jesus says, eat your daily bread. He said that man does not live by bread alone, but from the word of God. So eat your broccoli, eat your bread. Don't ignore the bread. That is the primary source of sustenance for the believer. In my experience, uh, I think Mike Bickle or Chris Gazzardo, one of those guys, they sort of taught me this, uh, this thing to do. Uh, they said, if you can, read the Bible. If reading the Bible is difficult, write the Bible. So if I'm reading a passage and I'm like, man, I don't really get anything out of this, I'm going to go and I'm going to take some time and I'm going to write that passage. If writing it doesn't do anything for me, I'm going to sing it. I'm going to sing it because, hey, Lord, I don't really know exactly what you're saying in this verse, but I'm going to sing it, and it's truth because it's in the Word of God. If singing it doesn't do it, I'm going to say it out loud. That's my personal favorite. I'm going to pace back and forth. That's how I, that's how I do it. I'm just going to read the Bible. You know, Lord, you have searched me and know, you, know me. You know all of my intimate thoughts, et cetera, et cetera. And that's, that's my personal favorite way. If saying it doesn't do anything, if that doesn't wake up my spirit, I'm going to pray the Bible. Everything in the Bible is God's desire. And so I'm just going to align my heart with God by saying, Lord, uh, let's see, I'm just trying to think of a verse. Lord, I feel dark, yet I am lovely. I'm dark like the tents of Kedar, yet you call me like the tents of or the curtains of Solomon. I say that out loud and I start praying that and oftentimes that wakes up my spirit. And if praying it, if it, all of those things start coming alive, then you end up believing the thing that you're reading. And that's, that's the goal is to not just have an understanding up here, but to have an understanding in your heart that actually God means what he says in the Bible lining up your heart with the truth of in, in the witness of the Bible. And then, of course, we have to pray for the spirit of revelation. So, guys, it's my last night here uh, for a little while. I'm so excited for what the Lord's doing in my life. But I've talked about what the journey of the believer looks like in my experience and the, the big takeaways. But I'm about to go and do something totally different. So I just want to commit to you and, and sort of say that I am not going to forget the things that the Lord has done in this house. I'm not going to forget the experiences I've had with many of you where the Lord has broken in and just changed my life through, through our relationship. And when I come back, I, my prayer is that you would be more on fire for God and more excited to experience whatever he has for us than I am, which I, I, I'm praying that for myself, like day in and day out. I'm like, I've seen so many people leave the church and go off to do things. And when they come back, they are not on fire for the Lord. And so I just vow and I, I commit to you guys that my time gone is not going to be a time wasted. And my prayer is that when I come back, that your time would not be wasted either, that 
this would be a vibrant house where people are pursuing Jesus, where the spirit is coming and moving and where there is a beautiful incense arising from this house. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message ministered to you and that the Lord met you. You can follow us on Instagram at gatekeepersatl. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.